Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Catch Cape podcast. Today, we continue with our series of interviews, and we have the lovely Jenny Nirochale, who is a Hatha Tantric yoga teacher and practices curtain and has deep roots here in Ireland. So, Jenny, welcome on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Um, thank you for having me. <laughs> um, so part of your work encompasses yoga. Um, what type of yoga are you practicing and teaching? Um, so traditional Tantra Katha yoga is kind of the title, I suppose, you'd put on it. Um, but within that, you know, it's quite a broad spectrum of what that entails it's essentially rooted in hatha yoga because you know all of most all the different yoga styles come back to hatha in some way shape or form um but traditional tantra is really rooted in the energetics of the practice so working with prana or energy you know throughout the the movements throughout the the breathing techniques and then ultimately it's all leading towards meditation um and cultivating stability and calmness in the mind so we're using the movements, the shapes of the bodies, the asana, the breath to, you know, shape it in such a way that at the end of a practice, our mind is calm and steady and clear. Um, because from that place, then we can we can start to go forth and, and create whatever it is we want out of life. Mm. And it's so important that we do make decisions from that place, because otherwise we're just living in fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. would you do a practice in the morning as you wake up yeah yeah so I think you know there's a ideally we'll do a, a full practice every day but you know it's 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 a funny question when people say oh do you do your practice every day and I'm like yeah most days but I I try <laughs> um but I know when I teach on like teacher trainings and stuff like that there's always almost like a fear of like oh I should be practicing every single day and if I'm not and then I'm a terrible person and I think this is a whole big conversation around kind of discipline and commitment and you know what the practice actually is doing for you as well um and so it's one it's great to say oh, I have a practice and I you know I do something every morning anyway to connect with my higher self or to connect with the part of myself that is infinite or rooted in love or compassion um but and I, to be honest I've, I've i've heard all sorts of opinions on this you know whether it has to be the exact same thing every single day for set periods of time which i find is very disciplined and rigid and doesn't leave a lot of room for nuance and the feminine body basically um but then i've also kind of heard it where it's more like oh you just do what you want when you want and i wouldn't quite ag- agree with that either so I find that there is a sweet spot somewhere in the middle where we're committing to something every single day, even if that's, you know, just sitting and inquiring as to what do I need today or how does my body feel today um, and how do I need to move it? How do I, you know, how will I best reach that state of calm today? Because we're not going to get there the same way every single day, you know, and there's benefits to doing a very disciplined practice but there's also benefits to kind of being a bit more loose with that too um and i like i said i do find there's a there's a sweet spot in the middle somewhere where we can be disciplined but not to the point that it's enforcing more rules and more rigidity uh, into mm-hmm. our mind because i think we live in a society where we have enough of that basically 
Yeah, definitely. And as well, I find like with the feminine, the way we have our cycle and mm-hmm. there's that discipline part, but then I know from training, like your ego, like it might not wanting to be going to the discomfort, but then also it's about respecting the body because you don't want to get them mixed up. You know, like if you're just before your bleed, like not push yourself on that run or that yoga practice or whatever, because that's may not be the ego. That may be your body saying, like, don't go into that discomfort because we're not able for it, you know, and I think that's really important to um, differentiate, isn't it? Yeah. And it, that's it's also taking our power back instead of putting our power in what someone else has told us to do, for example. And Tantra is all about empowerment, you know, from within. And so being able to like the skill is really being able to read and give ourselves what exactly we need on any given day Mm. um, with the overall intention of, you know, connecting with the divine or remembering our our innate spirituality or our heart or whatever it is that we're kind of working towards. Um, But the skill in in a yoga practice and including it into a daily into your daily life, um, it's actually learning to read your body and learning to read your mind and then being able to give yourself that and how empowering that is to know and to not need to ask someone, Oh, should I do this? Or should I do that? Or is this the right way? Is that the wrong way? Over time, we, we, we experience like what it is and that we need and we're able more to give ourselves that. Um, there might be a period of time of like figuring that out and like a bit of trial and error, which is totally normal in, in something like that. Um, but I think overall it's it's learning more about ourselves and learning more to to address whatever needs are presenting themselves every day. Definitely. And that intuition as well gets stronger. And mm. the conditioning that we're brought up with of like overdoing, overworking, overachieving, like yep. we can finally listen. And like none of that has not that it doesn't have meaning anymore because it's still there. You know, that's the society, but we realize that it's the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, that actually be like to be empowered in these, this day and age is actually to be able to listen to what our body needs instead of, you know, tick all the boxes and do whatever someone else tells us to do is right. Um, so it's kind of like it's gone f- whole 360 or 180 flip. I don't even know what number. I'm not great with numbers. <laughs> a terrible example um you know what I mean though it's kind of just flipped on its head um Mm. I think in in the past a lot of people would have based their worth on you know how busy they were how productive they were or whatever else it is and especially in winter especially like in as a feminine being with you know all these different fluctuations that are happening um there's so much power in just being able to let all of that go you know, so it's it's what where does the where does the empowerment actually come from? It's it's from taking it back, take, making a decision for ourselves mm. rather than doing something that we think is going to, you know, gain us social standing or money or wealth or whatever fame, you know, mm. and that's the harder choice usually in these in these moments. It's actually t- to choose what we need rather than what we think we should do. <laughs> Mm. <clears throat> definitely um and especially now um 
you know, leading up to the winter solstice and all the overdoing and overworking, like none of the other animal species are doing this, you know, only us. And we are meant to be the most advanced. And yet we're doing the complete opposite. You know, it's just gotten it all wrong. (laughs) Bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. But it's, it's interesting now that like the natural world is starting to like, you know, there was images of different flowers blooming at this time of year that shouldn't be, you know, so everything is a little bit out of sync. And I feel like definitely humans are as well, but it's almost as if we're all in this kind of transition period of like reconfiguring what it means to be alive and what it means to have a body and what it means to be healthy, what it means to be happy. Um, Because we're realizing, I think we're at a point where we're realizing that, okay, the old way doesn't work. The old expectations of society aren't working here there's so many people miserable so much you know so many mental health issues all of the rest the environment is is suffering so but but we're not sure quite like what's next we're kind of like in this midpoint of like trying it trying things out basically like the trial and error of trying to figure out what's sustainable and what works and what helps um yeah I don't know where that came from but I just felt it was necessary to say (laughs) yeah no, that's definitely on par. And I think like, say like the old style jobs and like we want to live better. Like people mm. realize now that like we can live better and not be so stressed, you know, mm-hmm. like have good lives, be in good health. And yeah, I think we're finding our balance somehow, but we have to move through that discomfort and exactly. slow down, like you know. Yeah. And also be patient with ourselves as we figure it out, you know, because if we've not seen something modeled for us, then it's very hard to to know what's right. And then it's kind of just cultivating that inner trust slowly over time that like, OK, this is working and this is this feels good in this moment. So I'm going to keep doing it, whether that's like a yoga practice or something else completely. Yeah. And definitely the climate is changing us you know you're on about the rhythm and changing the way things are flowering and animals coming out and you know I always watch my bees to understand Mm -hmm. the weather and you know climate changes and stuff and recently like I don't know was it a week ago like it was like they were it was a like a big huge sunny summer's day like they were there was so many out like hundreds of them Wow. Even a bumble. I keep telling people I was like, because I'm so in awe. There was a bumble, but big, huge bumblebee, a queen bumble. She was right by my neck because I, I, it sounded like a massive drone. It was like a drone, the male bee, like they have big, huge hums, like, and um, it was like by my neck, this ma- bigger than my thumb, bumblebee. And I was like, whoa. And it was like the 2nd of December. And I was like, what is going on at all? But the sun was shining. They were all out enjoying it but like obviously it's yeah it wasn't supposed to be that hot so they're also now working in the winter and it's just so funny you know I'm like when are we going to balance properly you know yeah yeah and it it's almost like it's it may have to go even further out of balance for it to eventually land back in the center you know like the pendulum swinging if we're Mm. all the way over here at one point of this extreme and then it goes through you know, we have to swing the whole way over in order to eventually rest back in some sort of balance in the middle. So I think that goes for, you know, a lot of our lifestyle 
habit changes as well. Like if we are moving away from that busy nine to five model of what work looks like, there's going to be a period of like maybe having to stop completely and, you know, drop everything and just figure out, okay, what would it actually feel good to to live like? And how can I create that for myself um, slowly? Mm. I'm just surrounded by more and more people who are at that stage of like figuring out how to make this type of lifestyle sustainable um, in a climate that doesn't really value it yet fully. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people starting out and doing it on the side. Mm -hmm. Our lifestyles, we've made them expensive, you know, yeah, the more mature and like stable way to do it. I definitely did not do it that way. <laughs> I very much just like dropped everything and was like, oh, I'll figure it out. Um, but it took a while. I'm only kind of now after like five years of really trying to get things consistent. Literally only this year have I have I felt like, OK, there is some sort of rhythm in, in what I do. <laughs> mm. a long time. Yeah, fair play. Um, and you also do curtain. Would you mm-hmm. explain that for people who might not be, who might be new to it? Yeah. So, kirtan, it's a form of bhakti yoga. Um, and bhakti yoga is the yoga of devotion. So, within kind of the traditional path of yoga, um, there's a text called the Bhagavad Gita. You might have heard about the Bhagavad Gita. And it's based essentially just one big conversation that happens on the battlefield um, between uh, Arjuna and Krishna and these two characters of the story. And he speaks a lot about the three different types of yoga that are recommended, let's say, for a balanced life. And they are jnana yoga, which is the yoga of knowledge. So introspection, self-inquiry, kind of all that type of stuff. Bhakti, which is the yoga of devotion. So connecting to our heart, compassion. And then there is, uh, what's the third one? Karma yoga, which is the yoga of action. So taking action to kind of move towards whatever it is we want to create. And so Bhakti, this piece is like the heart of the heart and soul of, of yoga, basically. So if we don't have a practice that's infused with love, with compassion, if we don't have access to our heart, um, then it's quite common maybe that your yoga practice might feel a bit rigid and like stagnant and you can easily get a bit bored and not excited by it you know um but bhakti in and of itself it's a whole it was a whole movement in in india um and it was developed so that um normal everyday householder people and women especially people who wouldn't have had access to more traditional practice of yoga because originally they were only you know intended for men um, but whereas bhakti instead was open to everybody. So anybody who could feel love, <laughs> essentially. So anyone who's ever experienced God as love is 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 really who bhakti is aimed at. And it it, it shows us that, um, you know, love basically is an access point to the divine if we if we can allow it to be. Um, and it's funny because I feel like my gateway into this side of things I was always a I was always a musician growing up and I always played music and was in bands and sang and kirtan um is essentially a chanting session so a group that, that's how it looks you know if we were to go to a, a kirtan session it would be one person at the top of the room guiding or leading the mantras and then everyone in the room just singing and chanting them back um, and it's done in a call and response way and 
eventually in my kirtans anyway everyone ends up just singing together and it's just like a kind of a celebration and there's no it doesn't matter what you sound like you know this is the beautiful thing um and for me having been someone who was so focused on getting all the notes right and sounding perfect and you know when I was in bands when I was younger I would be very hard on myself if I didn't do something right or if it sounded a little bit off or whatever and letting that go has been such a a kind of liberating thing and it's only because of bhakti that I've been able to do that because the emphasis has shifted from perfection and getting things right all the time to just singing for the sake of it and singing more so for the sake of love and um, and again another another reason why I feel that bhakti has drawn me so much is you know the experiences that we have with the heart so for me a lot of different relationship related things or kind of feeling that hollowness of heartbreak or loneliness and being having been so established in that and having experienced it for so long and thinking that it would never end you know there's this deep pain that comes along with that but when i was able to actually transmute that into wow okay this this person this relationship has given me access to this ability to love so strongly you know when when you can separate the love itself from the person and just amplify that love like how powerful is that how imagine what you could do with that love if you could share it with everybody um and that has really that's been really the catalyst i think for me as well is is knowing that like you know when we're chanting we're chanting to the essence of what the mantra represents not necessarily the person or the deity or the particular icon that we're chanting to if that makes any sense um but really it's just you know when i when i lead the the sessions i'm kind of asking people like what do you love like what what things in your life have given you access to that deep unconditional sense of love whether that's a person it could be a pet it could be a child it could be um a place that you've been it could be an activity that you do something whatever it is that activates that deep sense of love and devotion and longing that you know if you were to remove the person from that equation you would just be left with this ginormous immense amount of love um and you know in bhakti we say that love is the divine like that is what god is if you want to call it god i'm always wary of using that word but you know if we can just draw more of that back into our everyday lives then um I don't know how how different things might be. Um, so it's it's about generating and connecting with that sense of unconditional love more than anything else, you know. And we do that through singing. We do that through music. Um, and I think music is a very good access point for people because you know we all connect over music. Even if you look at like five thousand people in Crow Park singing along to a pop band or whatever it is, like what they're doing is having a shared experience of devotion or like attention or love in some way you know because they all love that feeling of being connected in a group um and that's why when we do it with intention um and the awareness that you know we're actually moving through all these layers of density and story and whatever else that we've created in our mind and just allowing ourselves to reconnect with something higher than ourselves um that's why it can be so powerful if we allow it to be
Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question again. I kind of went on a bit of a spiel, but <laughs> no, it's lovely. Um, <laughs> and like a couple of points you mentioned, like amazing that you had somewhere to put that pain from the heartbreak and take the love out because heartbreak can feel like it lasts forever, you know? So and those who love the most, like it's just, it can be so painful if you've, really opened your heart so much and I think that it's just reminders as well of like you know like when we feel that love like that love is in us you know we are we we're all we're always externalizing it like you know like I feel this love in the presence of that person but it's actually in us like you know they're just reminding us of that amount of it or or igniting us you know within us and Mm -hmm. It's like if we only had that power to realize that it's all actually in us, you know. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and we have to constantly pull ourselves back, you know. It's very easy to to do that, you know, especially if it's a person that we're kind of saying, you know, I love that person or, you know, and that's beautiful, I think, as well. But there's always the, for me, there was always the danger of like giving too much and then it would lean into being like codependent and all the rest and just <laughs> not great, not great patterns really. Um, so like literally since this has kind of come more into my life and I've made it a point of, you know, being a large part of my life, I've just, I feel like so many of my relationships have healed and I have a much more healthy way of going about relationship now. Mm. Um, not expecting so much from it, not kind of, <clears throat> needing to be saved or healed or any of that type of thing um because at the end of the day we're all just trying to like figure our way back to that sense of love within each of ourselves and if someone else can give us a reflection of that great but doesn't mean that they are you know our savior or anything like that yeah and I was listening to a girl recently a podcast and she was like you know like we all have attachments like she's like unless you're a monk you have attachments and she's like you know like we're just afraid of the attachment breaking like no matter what way we attach to people you know we're that's the base the base of it all of it it's the fear of the bond breaking you know and Mm -hmm. it's scary for us as humans because nothing is permanent and well you know in the sense that I mean (laughs) our bonds like the way we are now with people like so it's that fear because we love so big and then it's like, oh my God, what if that goes? And it's like, yeah. just love anyway. <laughs> just do it anyway. Exactly. And, and like channel that love into something that doesn't change, which is that connection to yeah. higher, you know? And and I think that makes all the difference. And even if you think the word yoga, yoga means union. So it's like, what are you unifying with? What are you connecting back with? And it is that sense of the divine or god or goddess or whatever you want to call it source consciousness something um and that's the part that doesn't change you know and that's the part that's within each and every one of us no matter how far away it might seem um so having some way whether that's chanting whether that's meditation or yoga or whatever you do to reconnect with that um and just making a practice out of that making a habit out of it and you know, everything else starts to shift to kind of accommodate that relationship. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because the more we focus on love, love grows. 
And, and so you speak a bit about yoga, uh, which obviously isn't from here, from India. Mm. Um, and you're really deeply rooted here in Ireland as well. So yeah. how have you, we'll say, incorporated um, like our background here or you spoke a bit about Gaelga, like how do you kind of incorporate our roots or into your work and um, have you found actually love within the Irish heritage? Oh, such a nice question. Um, I think I'm still finding it. Um, I said to you a little bit before we came on to record that you know, my journey with yoga was certainly like I had to move away from Ireland. I had to leave um, to go and explore and train and, and practice and spend time in other cultures um, to to deeply connect um, with those. And previous to that, previous to yoga, you know, my work was all with the Irish language. I studied Irish. I did a master's in it. I you know, was working and singing in Irish language bands and this type of thing. Um, it was all very much revolved around the language. And then when I moved away from it, I almost felt like I, I lost that connection a little bit. Um, and I went out and healed what I had to heal and, you know, worked on myself and did everything else that I, I really needed to do at that point um, and discovered yoga and then went quite deep into it and, you know, got quite committed with studying and still am. Um, but what I've since coming back to Ireland at the start of 2020, um, kind of reluctantly actually I didn't want to <laughs> it was just because of everything going on that I had to um I really found and realized that I had to go deep into this other culture and deep into these other practices another language of Sanskrit to actually return and have access to the depth that and the richness that is available within the Irish culture as well and the Irish language, um, if we if we can look for it, you know, if we're open to considering it as being there. Um, and what I mean by that is that so with with yoga and with this traditional Tantrakatha path, anyway, the lineage of Sri Vidya Yoga, it's an unbroken lineage. And so yoga can be traced back, you know, all the different masters and teachers and sages from thousands and thousands of years. You can trace back literally in, a, in an unbroken line of teachers. Whereas if we look to Irish culture and Celtic culture in general, um, the likes of the, the Druids and the medicine women and all of the different gods and goddesses that we would have worshipped back in the kind of pre-Christian pre days is more pagan, I suppose, in their views. Um, there's no evidence, there's no certainty it's an un, it's it's a broken lineage right it's it's been broken by different periods of plantation of colonialism of all these different reasons why we lost a connection to the practices that were um taught and shared around that period of time which i'm sure were you know if 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 tantra is anything to go by and if if what we do know about the pagans and the druids and the celts is anything to go by like it it sounds like it was very celtic or very tantric in its essence um because there was a lot of work with the elements you know we've earth water fire air and ether there was a lot of emphasis on the land on the mother as the divine being um and if you look to the studies of shaktism so the shakta tradition in in the yoga 
tradition. Shakta just means that they worship the divine feminine as the main godhead in that lineage or that line of Hinduism. And that could be, I suppose, similar to, it could be seen as being similar to um, how the ancient Celtic people would have worshipped the nature as the mother. You know, so the land in, in all of these lineages, if we look back, we do know that the land played a very important role in, you know, in all of this um, worship and uh, divinity and connecting with with some form of, of deity. Um, the mother goddess was literally Mother Earth. Um, and that's why all these sacred sites in Ireland kind of still hold that potency that they do, because they would have been revered as as the mother as that kind of divine feminine i suppose um and so only since coming back have i been able to kind of uncover some of this for myself and like i said there's not a lot of evidence there's not a lot of certainty around like what was practiced and there's a lot of kind of new age stuff out there that you know it, it can be nice and it can be really lovely to engage with and to use as a way to connect in some way to our heritage and our language and our culture but for me, I was always like, but there's no like, there's no certainty. <laughs> there's no, no, there's no way to know if this is actually what our ancestors practiced like thousands and thousands of years ago, because it's broken. You know, the, the, the timeline is broken. The, the lineage is broken. So I suppose in that way, all we can do is really feel into what feels right and, you know, try and in some way call back the same kind of intention with some of these gatherings that people might be hosting or stuff like that 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 can kind of um is is intended to kind of reconnect us with the land and so if it does amazing you know and then the other thing was for me as well being able to kind of say well the practices of this lineage of yoga basically are it's unbroken it's you know the same things have been practiced for years and years and years thousands of years the mantras are thousands of years old um and so it's almost as if I'm even still trying to figure this out for myself. Like, is there a way to use the information and the knowledge that we have available to us from this lineage, from the, the tantric yoga lineage to somehow reconnect with an, a, a lost lineage of a different land um, from a people who would have probably had very similar practices like I know a lot of the ancient Celtic rituals would have been very based on fire rituals you know we have our fire festivals um throughout the year and so fire played a big role in in that tradition and similarly in tantric circles and traditions you know, the fire rituals is like the main part of a lot of the the practices um and like I said, working with the elements, using sound and mantra and language, the, the Irish language. Again, there's no, there's. I've, I've tried to look for different ways that um, the Irish language might have some similarities to Sanskrit and mantra and that type of thing. And there are some that people have suggested um, and some books that speak about it that I've come across. But it, again, there's just not as much, there's not enough information there to support it and solidify it so it's it's very much going off a feeling you know mm. um, which is it's it's good you know it's just that I I feel like I'm still in the, in the process of figuring that out and what that looks like what it would look like to have some sort of practice um yeah rooted in that <laughs> that mm. draws on both maybe I don't know yeah and it definitely is all about the 
you know, as you say, if something's broken, it's we're relying more on our kind of even some way our genetic memory of how we feel when we like <clears throat> I know for me when I'm on the farm doing certain things I'm like whoa like I can feel that something ancient is happening you know mm, like I when that. I walk the fields and I'm say bringing like I don't know like say I'm like making a path or something and I'm bringing tools with me like I feel something really old you know mm. and I'm like whoa like it's it's very powerful yeah. Um that's all I could say what it feels like, but you know, I've no definite, you know, but I know there's something old there, you know, I can feel people before me who would have done that um yeah. in the land there as well. And even when I speak, but I almost I almost can't speak because it's really it's really overpowering for me, you know? Yes, um, yes, I completely understand that. I, I think I've had similar things with the language, the Irish language as well. Um and realizing that, you know, when I was younger, learning it and the Gael talked and then studying it and it was a big part of my life for a long time. And then it wasn't all of a sudden. Yeah. And then in reclaiming it again and like returning to some of the places I would have been, there was that same feeling of like, I've been doing this all along and I didn't even realize like how magical this is, you know, because when you when you do something when you're younger and it's part of your life as a kid, you don't really take, you don't really appreciate it as much, you know? Mm. Um, and definitely I probably took it for granted at the time as well, but now I'm just, I'm so happy that I, I'm so lucky to have her, to have the language to, you know, have studied it and have been immersed in it for a long time when I was younger. Um, and I really do feel like that's a, there, there's ancient roots in the language as well. So connecting with, the language automatically connects us with that old, that feeling of ancientness that you described there as well, um, because it has been spoken for for thousands of years, and it's only in the last two hundred really that it's really really begun to suffer. Um, and I just had a thought come to my mind of like, you know, the colonization and obviously the punishment for speaking the language and all of that that went on. Yeah. Like in some way they did a good job because like why did we go to school and just be like we were so like well people just didn't want to do it, you know? Yeah. So they actually got into our psyche of like you don't want to learn Irish and we still hold that in schools, you know? It's yeah, it's it's scary how much we can be convinced to believe something. Yeah. When the powers that be <laughs> want us to believe it. Um yeah. It's it's actually terrifying, and and then how it seeps into generation after generation of like, oh, this is not cool to do. Irish is not cool, and you know, I would have worked a lot with Colossal Lurgan when I was a teenager, growing up doing translations of songs and putting them on YouTube and stuff. And there was always comments from people saying, oh, you're making Irish cool again. You know, you're trying, you're bringing it into the mainstream almost of like giving kids an opportunity to engage with it in a way that wasn't like learning lines or reciting poetry or stuff that kids just don't connect with it was kind of trying to make the language a living language again um and I do feel like that shifted my image of it big time as well you know just even being involved in in something like that um but I yeah in, in more recent years the reconnection to the kind of spiritual roots of it as well 
have made me see that it's there's just so much there and I feel like I'm I'm still going to be exploring it for years and years to come of like what it actually means and and why I've been drawn to do this type of work and why you know my experience of yoga has been what it has been um so yeah I'm I'm not by any means finished or like I don't have any answers particularly I'm just like this is kind of where my head is at right now <clears throat> and there definitely is a revival of Irish definitely um, yeah. you feel it and you see it um it's just so beautiful like I just wish the schooling had been different you know or I hope it can be different yeah yeah it is and I I, I really feel like there hadn't been a lot of support for teachers really at all because you know, it's very, so many people having worked with Irish as well for a long time, it was, you know, very common for me to hear like, oh, I had a terrible teacher, blame the teacher, blame the teacher, blame the teacher. And it's like, yes, obviously the teacher didn't do great, but what support did that teacher have as well? You know, so it's, it goes far beyond, you know, someone's capacity as a teacher. It's like that, that grow, that love wasn't instilled in them when they were studying or learning or, you know, so it's somewhere along the way, where do we, where do we instill that, you know, shift and who does it need to shift with in order for the next generation to actually have a different perception of the language um, to what we did? It's and not placing exactly. blame. It's just like, okay, what, what needs to change here? And we can see as well from Irish how our connection to our roots and the land because of all, all the words like for different... Mm you know, rocks or seaweed or, you know, fields, like all the words we have. It's, it's yeah. mind-blowing, you know? Yeah, and it's it's really interesting. Just something occurred to me right there. That's really strange. So I was thinking about how, you know, our, Ireland is kind of known as the Emerald Isle or like green is like we're often associated with the colour green. Yeah. Um, and green is the colour of the heart chakra, so Anahata. And then also... The word cray in Irish, the or e father, is the word for earth or like land, you know, or soil. And it's quite similar to Cree, yeah. which is heart. Um, and so I really feel like there's some there's something there as well around how the land is our, is actually you know, the heart of the land, basically, is the language. Um, because of all of these descriptive words for nature and the language kind of basically formed around them. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We're on to something. We're uncovering something <laughs> unbroken that's going to be fixed. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's crazy. Like, I wish I knew more. Like, I really do. But I'm still, I'm still just pondering. Yeah. I'm sticking with what I do know for sure as well at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm. Um, and your connection to nature, do you spend a lot of time in the outdoors? How do you yeah, yeah. your nervous system in a fast-paced world? <laughs> um, well, usually if I was scattered or feeling a bit unregulated, I would just do a meditation or something very still or chant a little bit. Um, but yeah, I live in Wicklow. I moved here in April or so, so I've got forests and nature walks all around me and the beach is not too far either so 
I really think that being near nature is really important for me. Like, I don't think now I could ever go back to living in a city because I just couldn't. Anytime I go into Dublin, I'm I'm a bit frazzled within half an hour. It's mm. it's a lot, you know. Um, so definitely nature has has big healing powers for me. And just even looking at a landscape or mm. walking very slowly. <laughs> yeah. It just reminds me again that like how we haven't really evolved, you know, that well mm. to adapt to big, big, big cities and loads of people. Like we're still people of, you know, wild places and small communities, yet we're going into bigger cities bigger concrete you know we haven't evolved you know yeah and, that. and going back to the image of nature as the mother as the nourisher the nurturer um I, I really think that there's something big in you know connecting to the land as a form of nourishment um to ourselves and as a form of almost like mothering ourselves you know mm. um, by getting back into nature and, and reclaiming that for ourselves as well and um, so it makes sense that people used to worship the land and worship nature because it does have amazing amazing healing powers and yeah <laughs> I remember my brother when he was younger and he used to, we were talking about God one day and um, I was like who do you think my God is and he was like uh nature <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it is like, if it's that's what helps for me it's truth you know it's complete truth like watching a seed come out you know it's it's just absolutely in your face truth you know there's no falsity yeah and like plants don't overcomplicate things either <laughs> no just bend towards the light there get a bit of water yeah stress it's free it's, it keeps it simple there's no you know overactive mind getting in the way of things and yeah once you quieten down your mind and you're kind of in a calm stable place it's almost like yeah you can resonate with the tree yeah <laughs> a lot instead of thinking like why shouldn't I be doing this or is this crazy or blah you're actually finding oh wow we have a lot in common if I could just let this kind of monkey brain settle for a little bit <laughs> yeah it's kind of like the sometimes I find it like it's like getting out of the collective rush and mm. just finding your own place to find your own pace and like coming out of it because it is contagious you know our nervous systems are wired together and it's like stepping out of it just to kind of detach for a bit and then going back in and coming out I feel like that's what it's like it's like going in and out constantly yeah yeah you know? and it's good I think it's if you have to it's good it's good to not avoid it completely you know so I don't I wouldn't recommend that either. And I, like, I don't, I do go up to the city like at least once every two weeks or something like that. And I have different events on up in, in Dublin. So, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm never there ever, you know, but it's just, I think when you spend more time outside a city, you notice what it does when you, when you go back in. So it's just about kind of deepening your awareness of that. And then, you know, if it feels good, great. If not, then what can you do to change that or like step away from it if you need to. Mm. and you mentioned events as well would you like to let any people know listening if you've anything coming up that they might like to yeah see? um so I don't know when this is going out but I have um I would kirtan next week in the Fumbly in the 15th of December um it's a kirtan session just you know like I described earlier 
Um, I've been doing them every month the last few months. So if not, there there probably will be one in January as well, but I don't have a date for it yet. So just kind of put that out on social media when I do. Um, I have a retreat next weekend as well in Mayo um, that I can give you details of. It's called Wisdom of Prana. Um, and then also starting in January the 20th, I'm hosting a, a 50-hour yoga teacher training um, it's traditional tantric hatha yoga and bhakti. So a little bit about um, the traditional tantric methods I discussed earlier, and then also bhakti and chanting mantra and beginning to kind of start working with mantra in your practice as well. Um, and if you teach, it's a, it kind of counts towards 50 hours of continued education for yoga teachers, but you, you absolutely don't have to be a teacher to take the training. You can just do it for yourself and <laughs> do it in your own time if you want uh it's all online but it will and it'll be live every weekend or every month for one weekend um for five months and then it'll also be recorded so you can catch up in the meantime if you miss one um so yeah that's kind of everything <laughs> that i have for now uh, i also i do private sessions as well but um you know they haven't been as as frequent as the rest of my stuff so yeah and for anybody listening that doesn't know what tantric is, would you mind giving us a little? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's a couple of definitions of tantra. Um, one of them is to weave, which I think is beautiful. It's you know learning how to weave all of these different parts of life together in a in a balanced way. So from our movement practice, our meditation practice, our stillness practice to um, embracing kind of all of the highs and lows and the messiness of life as well. Um, so I think a lot of yoga can focus a lot on having to be pristine and glamorous and almost like really clean cut, whereas Tantra kind of makes space for all the mess as well, which is why I love it. <laughs> it's kind of saying like, you don't have to be happy clappy all the time. You can actually really embrace all of the heavy, darker emotions and it can all be that it can all be div divine, you know, it's all part of this human experience. So pleasure, pain, heartbreak, you know, all of these difficult things and lovely things that we experience. Tantra gives us a way to just embrace them all. Um, and I know it gets a lot of uh, the word itself, even, you know, people can automatically just jump to sex, which is... <laughs> I'm sure what people are wondering. So I'll just to, <laughs> to nip that in the bud. Um, you know, there is one path of Tantra. It's called the, the kind of left-handed path, I'd say, um, which is, you know, it deals primarily with that kind of sexual energy, sexual side of things. So there's a lot of different practices revolving around um, sexual energy and pleasure and stuff like that. Um, and that is one approach the traditional path, which is what I would practice and teach, is very much energetically oriented. So it's learning how to master our energy. So another definition of Tantra is the science of energy management. Um, so becoming more sensitive to, first of all, our, our own energy and how it moves and fluctuates and changes, and then becoming masterful over it. So being able to direct it in whatever way that we choose to direct it. Um, and if you think about it, if you have that kind of mastery over your energy and your mind and your prana, one avenue it could be taken down is that sexual pleasure field route, which is great. You know, some people choose to do that. Um, but I always say, you know, imagine what else you could do with that direction and that focus and that energy as well. 
Um, so it's not denying either of them. It's just saying that that is one way we can choose to take things. And I think because it is such a buzzword, you know, people are drawn to it for that reason. And they think that's the only aspect of it. Um, but it's really not. There's so much more. So it's about self-mastery, really. Um, it's about igniting that inner flame in 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 your belly, in your agni, your your inner drive, basically. Um, and then being able to go forwards with clarity and with action and with discipline. And most of all, with compassion. It always comes back to the heart as well. That's a bit another roundabout description, but I hope that, that gives lovely. it lovely. <laughs> I love listening. I'm just dreaming away listening. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I would totally, like, even from my end, that's why I'm asking to explain it, because where I saw it first was on a book in some shop or some bookshop or something, it just said Tantra, sex, and that's what you take from it then, that word means that, you know. Um, so it's great to explain it for people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so is there anything else you'd like to share? <laughs> Not really, just thanks for having Any me. Any insight <laughs> coming to mind? Really <laughs> the lineage <laughs> not really no just yeah just keep connecting keep coming back to the heart you know that's kind of what it's all about really at the end of the day yeah I went up to the we've the full moon today folks if you're listening and I went to the fairy fort this morning in the black dark at like seven wow. and like it was just I was falling over my feet in the field because it was so icy <laughs> all the soil was like compacted so I was like kind of stumbling the whole way along but it was just so powerful you know mm-hmm. I was in Glendalough last night with the full moon yeah and my phone the the light on my phone my my battery died so I had no light you know mm-hmm. um, but it didn't matter because it was so bright like yeah. I literally could see everything the the moon was just so clear it was great and some of the ancient stories as well say that like the old farmers would have worked on the land in the night you know mm. it was the full moon had like potency in um, in yoga as well. You know, there's a lot of mantras that would have been chanted to the moon and mm. different things, different rituals that would have been done as well. Yeah. And I was actually looking at the place name, or sorry, the days of the week as well with Irish. You know, Day Lewin is like the moon's day, you know? Mm, yeah. Very How amazing. Cool. They dedicated a day to our moon. I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. So thank you for coming on today. It's been lovely. Thank you. Um, folks, if you've liked this episode, please give it a share um, or leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcast. Um, thank you again to the patrons who support every month. You're helping me on my mission with my honeybees. Thank you so much. And we'll chat to you all very soon. Slán. Slán.